This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for September 29th, the Six Kids and Twelve Nannies edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm the dad of Harper, who is nine, and Lyra, who is 11. I'm an editor at Slate and a co-host of this fine podcast. That is weird that you had to put in that last part. Um, I am Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate, also a co-host of this fine podcast, and the mother of Harry, who is... Seven. It took me a second. Who can uh, remember? <laughs> Sam, five, and Wally, three. Uh, hi, Allison. Hey. Uh, if you can't remember how old your three kids are, imagine what it's like having six kids like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. On today's episode, we're talking Brangel Exit because we are us. We are viewing it not through the celebrity lens, but through the parenting lens. How impossible is it really to raise six kids? We'll talk to Noreen Malone of New York Magazine and the Double X Gab Fest, one of six kids, and her hardworking mom, Mary Ellen Brennan. Then, many parents find themselves stuck as part of the so-called sandwich generation, taking care of kids on one side and aging parents on the other. We'll talk with Sean Stevens of Chicagoland Methodist Senior Services about managing those responsibilities and about how to talk to your kids about the challenges and rewards of senior care. Plus, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and a listener call from a nanny. And for our Plus segment, we'll talk to Slate's Aisha Harris about bonding with her mom over all my children. Join Slate Plus at slate.com slash fighting plus. Over to you, Allison. Are you talking very fast today? Yeah. It feels like you're talking really fast. Uh, I've been doing 90 seconds of Slate, <laughs> Slate's 90-second uh, podcast, and I really got in the habit of just fucking rocking through it. Okay, I'm going to slow things down. You're going to slow jam this announcement? Please like us on our Facebook page, <laughs> facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Uh, the thing we posted a few weeks ago, asking you guys for recommendations of podcasts that you like to listen to with your kids, which was a question we got from a listener. 
was a real success. We got so many responses, great responses. So we want to do more of stuff, things like that. If you have a question that would really benefit from the advice of the masses, not just um, from your two co-hosts, ask us to put it on Facebook. And if we like the question, we just might. And again, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. One problem is that I recently learned that people listen to podcasts at like 1.5 speed, which enrages me. Um, so I want to talk so fast that I'm indecipherable at 1.5 speed. That's my goal. I want to be like the micro machines guy. Uh, one more announcement, a reminder that I am taking off in January with my family to travel around the world. I'll be checking in with Allison and whoever her new co-host is while I'm away. Uh, but I would love to meet you, our listeners. I've already heard from a lot of kind listeners and many of the countries are going to. But if you live in New Zealand or the Netherlands or Costa Rica or the foreign country of Kansas, please drop me a line. Mom and dad at slate.com. We will grab a beer and play America's favorite family card game, Ace of Hates. Okay, try and some fails. Dan, <laughs> Dan, do you drop that reminder in like all of it, every conversation? Like you're talking about like what time pickup is and like if your friend can help you. And then you're like, just a reminder, I'm traveling yeah. the world with my kids next year. Yep, I sure yep. do. <laughs> it's a great way to uh, make everyone angry at me all the time. All right, moving on to triumphs and fails. Uh, Allison, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, I have a fail. So this is actually John's fail, but uh, it'll take, best take me a fail. while to get to it. Um, so a couple things have happened that have made Wally extremely scared of the police. Um, I think the seed of fear was planted when on a long car drive a long time ago, like many months ago, Harry started asking us about Eric Garner. He had heard about this uh, from mm-hmm. his friends. And we had a long conversation about what happened to him and police shootings and racism. And we made clear during that conversation that the vast majority of cops are good And that if the kids are ever lost or scared or in need of anything and see a policeman or woman, they should totally ask that person for help and trust that person. But we were also, like, honest, or as honest as it made sense to be, about some of the things they'd been hearing about in the news. So Wally, you know, at that time is, like, two and a half or something. I don't know. And he's sitting in the last row of our minivan and I figured was barely listening. But after that, he started always saying, the police are bad. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, And then he had an unfortunate and I think scary interaction with the police with his now former nanny, um, who I won't go into details on this, but it led to us actually, unfortunately, having to fire her and was, I think, like a somewhat traumatic experience for Wally at the time. And ever since then, he's been really scared of the police. Uh, And every time we see a police car, he like gets anxious and says, are the police going to take me away um, and recently we were walking home from the park and we saw two police women on the lawn of a house in our neighborhood and there have been some break-ins recently. So I stopped to ask them if everything was okay. And they said, yeah, like an alarm just went off and we started to walk away and Wally let go of my hand and walked up to them and like literally just walked right up to them and said, do you know something? Police are bad. <laughs> and Sorry, it was... I shouldn't laugh, but oh my God. Oh, my God, it was awful. And I was like, no, Wally, police are good. And I, like, whisked him away as fast as I could and made, like, as many facial expressions as I could to say, like, I don't even know this kid. What an asshole. (laughs) Sorry, officers. Yeah. Ooh, what the mouths Uh, of babes. (laughs) So... We get home and I like try again to make him understand that most police officers are, uh, officers are good. And he like he just doesn't get it. He actually said, I don't understand. Uh, so this is all incredibly frustrating. But so far, I don't see this as my fail. Like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with him. But like, <laughs> uh, however, here comes the fail. 
Um, a few nights after that incident, after his like, hey, officers, did you know you are the worst incident? Uh, I wish I had the guts to do that sometimes. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was nuts. Uh, he was screaming and crying in the bath because John was giving him a bath and he frankly does not really like John right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only likes me. Mm-hmm. And John got into like threat mode and was saying like, if you don't stop crying, Wally, I'm not going to read you a book. And if you don't stop crying, you're not going to get dessert tomorrow and on and on and on. And finally, Wally said, are the police going to come and take me away? And John, <laughs> after all the work we've been oh, doing God. to make Wally less scared of the police, said, they might. And Wally stopped misbehaving. <laughs> You know what? If you got a tool in your toolbox, even if it's a, the wrong tool long term, sometimes you just got to use it. <laughs> That's spectacular. Yeah, that was that was that was not good. That's amazing. Okay, how about you? What do you have? Uh, mine is not that spectacular, uh, but it is also a fail. Um, that I, it's a fail that I'm sort I'm like now trying to salvage. I don't think I'm going to be able to turn it into a triumph, but I'm trying to like mitigate it somewhat. Um, so for the past few weeks, our kids have been. Totally insane for this app called Musically. Are your kids into Musically? No. So it is an app that allows you to just make these like very funny little lip syncing videos. Like it plays a 15 second snippet of a song and you like point the camera at yourself on your iPod and like do a little routine lip syncing to the song and it records at a different speed. So you look like a, like a hype Williams video. Uh, it's like, cool. It's very cute and charming and the kids are crazy about it. And it's fairly harmless uh, in many ways. Like it's just like a fun thing that they do that where they pass the time and the product is these like funny little videos. Um, but it turns out that this app is also an incredibly popular social network populated almost exclusively by kids that has a hundred million users, uh, almost all of them under 20, many of them in grade school. So this has been sort of a brand new and unprecedented front in our yeah. long-term struggles to figure out what to do about our kids and screens. Um, and you know, it's like the videos are cute and they're sharing them with their friends from school. Mostly, um, but also it is like a full blown social network. And given how much the, all the social networks in my life fuck me up all the time, I'm not, I don't know that I'm ready for my kids to like really be in that world. Um, but so the fail is not that they've been doing it, but the fail is that I didn't even know what it was or that it was a social network. Um, is it, and it's not controlled at all. Like it's not one of those like safe. No, no, it's not like, well, it's like I talked about hopscotch, for example, a couple right. of episodes ago, which is like pretty heavily moderated and specifically designed for kids. Whereas musically has dreams of being for everyone and have been extremely surprised to discover. It seems that all their users are like 11. Um, so, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I, they were just like doing this cute thing. Um, and like I told Alia, okay, you know what? I'll look into it and see what's going on. Cause you know, at some point we were like, well, who can see your videos? And they're like, everyone in the world. <laughs> uh, and we're like, well, is there a private mode? And they're like, we don't want to do that. Um, and I just like, I haven't looked into it in part because I'm lazy. And in part, because like who has the fucking time to, to like deeply investigate every, like online interaction and tool that your kids use. Like there isn't time in the world for that. Are you Uh, sure the reason you haven't done it is because like basically then you'll have to make the decision of like either you're okay with them being on a wide open social network or you're not. And if you're okay with them being on this one, then you're okay with them being on like Instagram and everything else else they want to be on. I don't know. I hope I can draw a line at some 
some in some way. May, yeah, I'm sure that has something to do with the yes, the un- unwillingness to make this decision. But like it is most, I feel like the deepest fail here is that I work at an internet magazine and yet to find out what musically was, I had to read a piece in the New York Times. Like that is fucking that, depressing. That's, Slate, that's Slate's failure. I know. Well, also it's Slate's <laughs> failure. Uh, this is a or, Slate or fail. Or Slate's culture editor. Right. Yeah. Who's who's that guy? Man. <laughs> Uh, I hope he's on his way out. So uh, I'm on it. I now have read up on it. I'm going to talk to my kids about it this evening. I do believe I want them to go to private accounts where they are sharing with friends who they actually know from school as opposed to uh, like the entire universe. Not because I'm like worried that someone in Boise, Idaho is going to target my children for abduction because they're on musically, but mostly just because the wide world of the internet can be a toxic place full of assholes and why necessarily uh, expose them to a, a social network that one day will be full of those assholes and bots. Yeah. Harper and Lyra, you have uh, about six hours That's right. to put out your finest work. That's right. Six hours of fun until dad shuts it down. Yeah. Uh, all right, but I'm on it. I'm on my fail and I'm going to uh, remedy that. So let's move on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The gasp heard around the world last week when TMZ broke the news of Brad and Angelina's divorce led to much soul searching and questioning here at Slate and frankly around the globe. Why, we all wondered, why was this happening to us? In the days since, various theories have been floated. Maybe Brad cheated. Maybe Brad smoked too much weed. Maybe Brad was going back to Jennifer. But the theory that caught our attention the most is the one we could relate to. Maybe it was the kid's fault. Just kidding. Was, that was wasn't that the, the theory. theory. <laughs> no, the theory is that they divorced because of parenting differences. Brad was too strict or perhaps uh, verbally abusive. Um, Angie didn't like the strictness or the verbal abuse, and so the marriage had to end. The reason I think this theory has seemed so plausible is that Brad and Angelina have so many kids. Uh, And life with so many kids, even if you're super rich with every resource at your disposal, must be very, very challenging. So to talk about this, not really the Brad and Angelina of it, but the specific challenges of raising a large brood and being raised in one, we invited Noreen Malone, co-host of the Double X Gab Fest and New York Magazine senior editor, and one of six siblings, and her mom, Mary Ellen Brennan, to join us. Hey, guys. Okay, so first, Mary Ellen, tell us the age ranges of your kids so we can just have a sense of how many little kiddos you had at home at once in the early days. Okay, they're nine and a half years apart uh, from the top to the bottom. So um, two boys and then the four girls. And and so Sean is the oldest, and he's, what, 39 now? And he's 39, so we go 39 to 29 at the moment. So pretty, wow. pretty much two years apart, right? So there was a point at which you had six children under 10 in your home. Yes, yeah. there was. And you were, bas- and you were like, pregnant for a decade. <laughs> exactly. Pregnant? Okay. Yes. Nursing? Yes. All that. Yes. All of the above. Yes. So, you, so my favorite line, Mom, that you say is that you miss the 80s. That like any pop culture reference, you don't know. Totally, totally. I did, I did. I mean, you know, 
something would have been wrong with me if I was really current on what was going on because I had my hands were full of, at home. Yeah, to take care of business. So, so what were it. the challenges? What were the challenges of raising such a large family? I mean, I'm sure there were many that, but that you think probably those of us with just a few kids wouldn't experience or expect. Well, I think a lot of it is the same, except except that it is magnified. So you know, organizing meals and schedules and trying to figure out if somebody's happy or unhappy. You know, you're doing that now when you have even a small family, but when you're six, you're, you've got to be organized about it. Even though I know Nora would say I wasn't that organized. It was, um, a, there was a loose organization going on. So you had to have a framework that's vital. If you don't have that, it's total chaos. So I don't think I relied too much on the older kids raising the youngers, but I do believe that I, you know, trying to say, hey, look out for your brother, your sister. Um, pay attention. Um, that, that, that definitely happened. Claire loves to tell, Claire is um, two years younger than I am, and she loves to tell the story of how I taught her to tie her shoes. But the problem was that I was probably about six and hadn't graduated from the bunny ears. So <laughs> to this day, we are, you know, uh, women in our late 20s, early 30s who tie bunny ears. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have given you more. (laughs) I'm really struck by what you say about being organized. Uh, A a coworker of ours, it's like Gabe Roth has described having kids and being a a family with kids as like running a very, very small nonprofit. Uh, But you are like running like an actual small business with like (laughs) almost enough employees to like qualify for a number of federal labor laws. So like – so how like how did that organization manifest itself? Uh, clearly, it was invisible to your children, but it was there. So how there. how do you do that? Well, I realized early on that if I you know think little things like if I tried to put everyone to bed at the same time, it was crazy. Or if I spread it out too much, it was crazier. Um, things like that, you kind of adapted and you realized that it was a constantly changing target. So things like lunches, Norm might remember. We tried to do them the night before we were, everybody was in charge of their own. That sounds horrible, but um, it does teach them a bit of self-reliance and they don't sit there with something they hate uh, for lunch. Um, You know, there were parameters. We're not, we didn't have table. (laughs) Terrible thing. But, um, you know, that made it a lot easier. TV was restricted to a few hours a week. What, nor? Pretty much. Well, you PBS. you kept track of everything on this big calendar. You had yes. one calendar that was insanely filled up with everyone. Because the other thing is that you you guys had us pretty scheduled. Like we all had to do sports and music, and um, you know and there were there night, was, and there was a rotating night. You know, for stuff like um, you know um, setting the table. Right, but that wasn't in the calendar. But I just remember, like, the the ballet of the calendar. You had, you know, someone's field hockey game and and someone's recital, and you managed to keep track of it all in this one calendar that was just, like, totally scribbled through, but it worked because it was kind of a central organization. Well, the calendar was vital, and the fact that your dad was a very willing participant. I mean, he was able to do it, and he he would do it. You know, he'd pitch in. Were you guys strict, like discipline-wise? Do you think you were strict or, yeah. like, stricter than you would have been if you maybe only had two kids? Like, did you have to be strict? Uh, I think you have to be strict. Um, 
Well, so, well, can I weigh in here? Yes. Um, Maybe you better. So, so one, one fun fact is that my mom actually came from a family of seven kids. Um, so, and her parents, correct me if I'm wrong, mom, were not strict, right? Um, well, my was, dad was strict. My mom was not. Okay. But you had a little more leeway. And so you would always say, I know what happens when, you know, <laughs> like basically a large family is left to their own devices. And so you, right. I think... We're also conscious of the way that people might say, oh, like the Malones run wild if we had. I would argue you guys were too strict, but uh, especially as yeah. we got towards high school. But I guess you had to do it. Well, you were, I grounded you a lot, honey. So sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you were deserve it, Were you bad, Noreen? Noreen? Yeah, really. No, I wasn't. That's the crazy thing. I was not bad. It was just she was like. She not bad. She was like. But she was opinionated. Where, <laughs> right? No, I, I would get grounded for things like insolence, you know, that's right. not, <laughs> my I could have been doing so much worse stuff, like, it wasn't fair. I know that, I okay. know that but I, maybe, I, maybe I was projecting. I was, <laughs> as a, you know, I mean, just knowing what I did, I mean, I wasn't a terrible child, but I was um, probably insolent as well. Um, <laughs> Mom, I'm kind so. of professionally insolent now. It's kind of like... Yeah, uh, how I make my money. I know, I know. See, but I, I had to, you know, I had to weigh you, weigh in on what maybe would be objectionable. I don't know. You were, you were a good student. You were a good kid. And well, let's not make this about me. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Wait, Noreen. <laughs> I have a question for you. Did you see your family as operating in a different way from your friends' families oh, yeah. when you were growing oh, yeah. up? Yes, definitely. Like yeah. I always had the earliest curfew. Um, and, and in ways that mostly like that I think were very good, like I really loved growing up in a big family. Um, and I love it more the older I get. Um, but yeah. And, and, and well, one thing that I think mainly early, they were like, you know, 11, right. It was like midnight 12, versus 1230, which mattered in high school. But I think, I, I think one thing that you did do that I think might be easier to instill in a large family is the sense that, like, okay, we are a unit and we behave in this certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have two kids, I don't know, your family, it, it, I'm not expressing this quite right, but, but like, um, well, no, it might be. I think you're right. People have expectations of a big family running amok. And so the eyes are on you. And, um, and feeling that a little bit, because every time you're pregnant, someone says something, um, or many people say things, you kind of feel like, well, you know, I think we can do this and do it well. And um, so you, your standards are maybe a little high. I also felt that my standards, if my standards were strict in the beginning, I would get tired. And by the end, I would... <laughs> it would still be okay. Noreen, I wonder if what you mean is that, I mean, I often feel that it's hard to instill this sort of esprit de corps in our family because they're just two kids and Mm -hmm. they have very differing opinions about things. And with six kids, I wonder if it's easier for everyone to sort of view themselves as part of this team where you can't just oppose your behavior against one other kids. There's all these other kids who are examples and everyone maybe is more likely to sort of like fall in line. Yeah, I think that's it. It it like we became a little bit of a tribe, you know, and we had this tribal identity. I mean, there are certainly sibling rivalries, um, but but I think that it it does just like having more kids makes you feel a little bit more like a team 
than, you know, rivals with one another, which I think probably helped in a management sense, almost, looking at it as a management problem. You know, she and my dad are are running this small nonprofit, medium-sized nonprofit. So, yeah, have a field day with them. Yeah, but yeah, we, the two of us, Noreen, have no frame of reference for what a small family's like. And so it's really difficult. But I do think the idea that um, you're, you're a group, your vacations are an experience. You were put in situations, you're all stuck in a suburban right next to each other. And, you know, you take this road trip and it, it had to work out and you made, you made it fun. So yeah. this is maybe the $200 million question this week and last week, but do you, did you get the impression, Mary Ellen, that having this many kids could put a strain on a marriage in a way that fewer kids might not? Yes, I think so. Particularly if you both have very, very um, vibrant careers and they each do. You're speaking of Angeline and Brad. Yeah. They each have very strong careers and they're very focused on them and they're very public and you've got to, they do have a layer of people working with them, nannies and, you know, I'm sure chauffeurs and people who are just running, helping them to run their lives and there's stress in that. Um, Okay. But mom, what I will say is that the only times I really remember you and dad fighting, it was basically about us and just sort of like, okay, you need to discipline, discipline, you need to discipline them more or like, you know, you didn't, right. you didn't pick her yeah. up or whatever, but, but, right. but right. I, I will say that you guys are, um, you fight. I almost never see you fight anymore now that we're all out of the house, which is, <laughs> and uh, life is good. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel bad. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, you, you look, I mean, you know, you're raising human beings and you don't want to mess it up. And invariably two people have often two different ideas about the best way to do it. And it's, it is a compromise. And if you see someone doing something you think is wrong, that's where the argument would begin. And we try desperately not to argue in front of the kids. But invariably, one would say, you're too strict. You're not strict enough. Um, why are we emphasizing this? You know, I think that the actual thing. line was, God damn it, Mary Ellen, why aren't you disciplining these kids? I mean, that's the actual <laughs> line. You mentioned, Mary Ellen, that it was a blessing in many ways to have a husband who was very engaged with the kids and up for, like, being part of this. But it also adds a layer of challenge. If both people in a couple with a lot of kids have strong opinions on how to raise the kids, as, as it probably seems like Angelina and Brad did, then mm-hmm. that's like a recipe for butting heads in a way that that makes for more challenges. I agree. I agree because you're both committed and <laughs> nobody's committed in the same way. I totally agree. And I wish I could say I knew how to fix it. You just work at the best compromise you can come up with. That's all you can do. And if well, one know, person decide, I would, I would say that you were kind of the decider, right? Is that me? Well, I felt I was there all day. I mean, he did go to work and I was, I should say this. I was a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. So though um, he was able, because of his work, to be at home often. He can't be there all the time. The buck stopped with me. You know, right. it really did. I was the one who had to deal with, you know, pretty much school conferences and, and um, schedules of driving. I, he was plugged into them, but I was the one who set them up. And so for me, I felt like, yeah, I'm kind of... Kind of the CEO here. <laughs> yeah, I mean the was other it? thing. The other thing that I think is a challenge for for ordinary families that maybe wasn't a family a challenge for Brad and Angelina 
uh, is money, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, money. Claire and I, Claire and I were talking. She has this very vivid memory of being little, and we were on a vac- family vacation. We never really ate at McDonald's except for family vacations, but we did. And Dad right. spent something like a hundred bucks at McDonald's, oh, and God. he just had this dazed look on his face and was like, <laughs> "I just spent a hundred dollars at McDonald's." Like, what am I, I know. Doing? I know. Well, it is. I mean, and we took vacations where we would stay in a motel, and then the next night we would stay. We would camp. So yeah. we, which we love, we make, we loved that. I know. Well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be if I, if we were going to have a vacation, that was a good way to do it. I and know you love your children, but did you ever got? Did you turn to each other ever and say like, "What have we done?" No, but you know, we talked about this before. We had kids, and we did not have kids for four years. The first four years of our marriage. And my husband wanted even more kids. And I said six was my limit. Um, and I was right, it was. <laughs> but I was, um, I don't know that we ever really did handle it because we always said um, it enriched us so much. There were so many things they did that led to interests of ours. Um, they, you know, music, sports, um, the people they were friendly with were people with whom we could relate, you know, their parents. It was interesting how it really dovetailed. And so it was enriching and it was challenging. I I have plenty of friends who have one child or two children. Their problems were the same. Um, I I think my kids turned out very well. They're all highly functioning adults and, and, and I was happy with it, but I was by no means a perfect parent. I made the same mistakes my friends made. You know, I really did. It's just, I was always under the pressure, I guess, that if I didn't do this well, um, I was messing up a lot of people. This is a great conversation. You guys are awesome. And I want to join your family if you're up for a seventh and eighth. We would like to be adopted, Uh, please. (laughs) But just finally, to both of you, why do you think Brad and Angelina broke up? Oh, my God. All right. I'm going to say, well, it's not money, is it? It's the kids. (laughs) It's the kids. Do I think... I don't know. Can you be, I'm sure he's not a stoner anymore, but can you be a stoner in the parent of six? Probably not. Not well. Um, yeah. You can't do a good well, job. Tr- like 12 nannies. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? Well, I, Noreen. I, I, well, I, I told you guys this theory. I, I am interested in the cheating rumors, if only because she would not, that would not play well in the press for her if she were actually angry about him cheating on her. Um, Wouldn't and it? like the like the scorned, abandoned wife. With no, six that kids. goes against like everything she's built up about her like identity. No, that's she true. can't be scorned. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. She, she does the scorning. Didn't she? I mean, she had a troubled Hollywood childhood. And, and <laughs> I feel like we're gonna get sued for this segment. Okay. Oh. All this right. Thank part. you guys. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thank this so was much. awesome. Really glad we did this. <laughs> Thanks, All guys. Right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Uh, and listeners, we want to hear from you. If you are from a large family or have a large family, uh, post to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting and let us know what's different about your life that uh, boring little families like ours can't understand. Also, please feel free to speculate wildly on our Facebook page about Brandon and Angelina. All right, moving on. Okay, on to our listener call. Every week, we take a listener call and try to answer it. If you have a question, please call us at 424-255-7833. This week, we have a call from Rose, a nanny in Brooklyn. I have been a nanny for this family for six years now. 
uh, the young son who is around four, um, he has had some behavioral issues and was recently diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. Um, as a, I'm the person who spends basically the most time with him, he has a lot of symptoms of autism spectrum disorders, and I'm coming to start to think that maybe he has high-functioning autism. Now, my question is, how can I go about suggesting this to his parents without overstepping my bounds? Um, I do feel that I need to advocate for this kid and, uh, you know, make sure that he's getting the best treatment that he can and that he can, you know, function in the world and, and I can take the better care of him. Um, but I don't want to just sit down and say, I think your son has a form of autism. That seems a little abrupt to me. So anyway, any advice that you might have would be great on how to broach this subject with his parents. Thanks. Bye. So I think, I mean, I think this conversation is going to be hard no matter. <laughs> There's um, no way for it to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that you should have it. I think like you've worked for them for a very long time. They obviously trust you with their children. You um, are like, you know, you have a say in, in, you know, this kid and you have a say in like how he you know, can best be helped and and live in this world. Your part, like your job, is to help raise him. That is your job, is to help raise him. And this is part of raising him. I think it sounds like, especially if he's already been diagnosed with something, that maybe the parents will be um, not surprised or open to having this conversation. They might even be relieved to have someone, you know, validate things that they had been wondering about. Like it doesn't sound like they're totally, from the little information we have, resistant to like the idea that child might need some, you know, extra help. Um, So I actually do think you sit down with them and say, like, have you thought about this? Have you wondered about this? Here are the things I see in him that I wonder, you know, and I just and then frame it in a way that you framed it to us in the question is like, I just want to help raise him the best way I can. Right. I think that's important. I agree with Allison that I would be shocked if this conversation came as a total surprise to them. I'm sure that these are issues that they've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, I think that couching it in terms of, I want to do the best job I can at helping this child make his way through the world and, um, and be as happy and healthy as possible. And so, I mean, I think you can literally say, so I've just been trying to do a lot of reading on the, on this newly diagnosed disorder and in doing this reading, I've seen a lot of associated symptoms that I see in him and traits that I see in him that seem like they might fall on the autism spectrum. And I want to talk to you about it because he's important to me and you guys are important to me. And I want to make sure that he's healthy and happy. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job I can. And I think that framing it in that way won't make the conversation easier because it will be hard, but it will stress to them that you're not trying to be a busybody or intrude, but instead you are trying to, you are recognizing that your job, as Allison says, is to help their kid and take care of that kid and and help raise him and that you want to do that job as well as you can. And that you don't think something's wrong with their son. You think something's different with their son. Right. Um, but I think the the language that, that Dan just used is really great. And I would actually just like <laughs> write that down. Maybe just and play the think, podcast to them. But I also think you should be prepared. Like there might not be any way to do this without some initial, you know, tension, yeah. resistance. Like, it's they're human beings. These these parents are human beings, and they might initially feel, I don't know, offended or recoil, and you might there might be no way around that. But, like, eyes on the prize is that you're trying to help their son. 
That's a really great question. Thank you so much for calling us. We hope that it goes really well or as well as it can. Um, If you have a question you want us to answer on the air, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE, which is what Wally was to those cops. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Parents of grade schoolers and middle schoolers are often referred to as a sandwich generation because we're sandwiched between kids who need a lot of care on one side and aging parents who need help on the other. In the past few years, our family has been sandwiched pretty good. When our children were really little, our parents were resources to us, and we boy, did we tap those resources like crazy. Now, as our parents get older and significant health issues start kicking in, they are really counting on us in a way that we sometimes aren't prepared for. We're not always good at navigating that. We often have trouble talking to our kids about it. So joining us from Chicago is Sean Stevens, who's an aging services specialist at Chicagoland Methodist Senior Services. Hi, Sean. Hi, good morning. So Sean was also my high school classmate at Whitefish Bay High School, home of the Blue Dukes. Uh, we were on the forensics team together, which, as Sean has said, is uh, is like a, a, a gathering of geeks. So I guess my first question for you, Sean, ought to be, how are your parents? My parents are great. I have um, My parents are still pretty young, and so I think I'm still in the enjoying, um, enjoying the time with them with my little kids at home um, and not not navigating this personally, but professionally, I've certainly um, worked with a lot of families over the years and um, experienced um, the burdens and the, the, the pull in two different directions that, that you um, recently described. So in our family, we are currently facing grandfathers on both sides uh, who are experiencing progressive dementia of various sorts. Um, And we've had a lot of difficult conversations with our kids about those illnesses and the things that their grandfathers are going through. Um, We'll get to sort of broader questions uh, later in this conversation, but I'm curious what tips you have for parents who are specifically talking to their kids about older people in the family dealing with Alzheimer's and other kinds of dementia. Yeah, I think, you know, like um, a lot of things with parenting, I think honesty is the best policy, um, but I think you have to meet the kids at the appropriate level. You know, obviously the conversation is very different um, with your older daughter, Dan, than it would be with someone with a four-year-old. Right. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think you don't want to scare them, but I think they need to understand that that um, grandpa um, has this illness and that these are some of the symptoms and that it's not, you know, not something that's contagious that they can get. Um, it's not something that his behavior is not because of anything they've done. And I think use it as an opportunity to really model um, that, you know, we need to take care of family um, in these situations. We need to respect, you know, older adults in our lives. And um, I think it's a great opportunity to model that kind of behavior for them. So, so it's a very diff- difficult conversation, but I think can be a positive outcome. 
So a slightly broader question that relates to us, but I think also relates to many, many people with elder parents, whether they are suffering from dementia or some other thing. Should the time come for one of those grandparents to live away from a spouse, like to go into a facility of some kind, to go into assisted living or or some kind of overnight care, I suspect that there are going to be a lot of questions from my kids, say, about, well, how could Kiki or Grandma Carolyn do such a thing? And I know that that will be a really difficult time for those those grandmas when that time comes, should it come. And I want to make it as easy as possible on them. So what are some ways to talk with kids about that specific kind of tough decision and the ramifications of it? Yeah, I think um, it is a really hard thing, especially when you have, you know, grandparents that have been together for a very long time and, and they're sort of the model in the family of, uh, of a marriage and a, a long-term relationship and then this unfathomable idea of them not living in the same building. I think it's really important to talk about when you love somebody, you, you want the best for them, you want them to get the care that they need. And if they're, you know, help your kids understand there's a time where maybe grandma can't be the person that provides that care anymore. The care needs are too great. Um, I've seen lots of examples in my career where grandma or grandpa has waited too long to get help um, in caring for their loved ones, and it's actually had a negative impact on their health. Um, you know, even stories where perhaps um, grandma's caring for grandpa and grandpa falls onto grandma, and now grandma has a broken pelvis or a broken head. And so not that you want to scare your kids, but I think, you know, helping them understand that um, if it's too much for grandma, she needs some help so that she can be healthy and she can um, be around to spend time with, with you. And, um, and she's still going to spend time with grandpa and we're going to help her, but this is a hard time for her and we're going to support her. And um, maybe it's helping go with her to visit him or our, um, spending time with her when she can't be there. But I think really educating them that it doesn't mean that Grandma doesn't love him anymore. It's because she loves him so much that she wants to get him the care that he needs. So um, my family is at a slightly different stage in life than than what Dan is describing. And it sounds like we're more sort of where you are, Sean, which is that we're my parents and my husband's parents are both, we're lucky, they're healthy right now. Uh, but we're in like the early uh, stages of preparing <laughs> for them not to be, mm-hmm. um, which really is mostly right now about conversations about where they should live because we live far away from them, um, from all of them. And it's, I mean, it's, I think so far it's been kind of like a difficult conversation about sh- like how early is too early to pick up their lives and move closer to us. And is that actually like the best thing for them to, to try to build a new life in their seventies and like a random part of New Jersey. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what, in your experience, have you seen that, like, the distance between uh, aging parents and their kids makes things incredibly difficult, it, you know, as they get older? Or is that, like, do, do you have thoughts on, on, on that do. decision? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, first of all, I think the answer is different for each family as far as what you should do. But I think it's great that you're having the conversations. Um, you know, my best advice to families is to talk about this stuff now at the point that you're at, because what I see happen more often is when families don't, and now there's an urgent situation, somebody needs um, assisted living or skilled nursing overnight or, you know, within a month, um, and you have um, sort of competing interests um, and conflict in the family because the decisions weren't made up front. And then it's really hard on the parent or the grandparent because they pick up on that conflict, you know, and they feel really bad that because of their health situation, <laughs> you know, they're creating conflict in the family. That's what you don't want to experience, I think. Um, so having those upfront conversations is really good. As far as, you know, to move or not to move, um, it is 
in a way kind of crazy for someone to think about moving, right, when they're still active and they have their life and their friends. But if you if you look into the future, what often happens is that those circles of friends change, that a lot of times their friends end up relocating or maybe they move to a community. So, in fact, I think the optimal time is to move um, when you are still independent and active to if you're going to make a geographic move where they can really build a new life for themselves. Um, I think it's a lot harder if um, now maybe there's only one parent left and they're relocating um, to a whole new city. And if they're a little bit frailer, it's going to be harder for them to meet people and make a new life. And that actually can put a burden on your family because all of a sudden you feel like you have to be the whole social life, <laughs> social life for your parents. And you feel bad when you're not spending time with them. And, you know, most people don't want to spend every single night of the week, you know, entertaining their parents as much as they love them. <laughs> they have busy lives with their kids as well to juggle. So I think if they can make that move and they're interested in making that move on the sooner side when they can build a life for themselves and new friends, I think that's great. But obviously, not every family wants to do that. Um, and so I think it's good to have a long-range plan of, you know, what city would they go to or would they move? Is it more important for them to stay in the neighborhood they're at? And those are really hard, difficult conversations, but I think it's a great, a great that you're starting to have those. Uh, do you feel like the same goes for talking about finances? Yeah, <laughs> I do think that the finances can be even more hard in a way because um, some families are very private about them. Um, I mean, the the really scary reality is long-term care is not cheap, um, as I'm sure you're all aware. Um, and many people um, save all their lives uh, but have a hard time with the idea of spending their money on this. Um, they want to leave money for their kids, for their grandkids. So I think it's really important to have those conversations up front. Um, and for some families, it's just frankly not an option um, to even explore. Um, for some, it is, and it's really uh, finding out what, what do your parents want to do. Do they want to live somewhere where there's independent living? Do they want to wait until they need care and um, be able to travel and spend their money on other things and save for that? I mean, those are conversations that you definitely want to have, too, if, you, if you're able to. I think there are some financial burdens for um, the adult children to consider, too. You know, if mom and dad stays where they're, where they're currently living and it's out of state, you know, you have to budget for flying back and forth a lot um, on, on planned trips. Um, where does that money come from? Um, you know, in some families, that money comes from the parents. Maybe there's money set aside for the kids to travel um, should their health needs change. In others, that their money isn't there. So I think those are some of the things that, to think about. Um, not just the emotional side of things, but the financial too. And what I see in, in my experience, a lot of times there's one adult child that sort of bears the burden, if you will, not that it's necessarily a, a burden in their eyes, but sort of is the point person for providing health care or, or coordinating that health care. And I think that a lot of times that's the adult daughter. Um, that's just just seems to be what happens. Yep. Uh, not always, but a lot of times. Um, and I think that, you know, I guess one other tip I have for you is to really support whoever that person is if it's not you, if the decision is they're not going to come and live with you. Um, even though that person may seem to have got it and all have it taken care of, you know, they're going to need a lot of emotional support. They're going to need um, maybe some breaks here and there um, and just appreciation because it's not, that's not an easy job. I think most of us would feel pretty honored to do that, but I think um, they, they, they do need a lot of support too, and there's ways to help them even if you are the kid that's out of state. Yeah, those are all really good points. Uh, one follow-up to that is just that the, this experience has taught, so far has already taught me a lot of things, and one of them uh, is to get long-term care insurance, like now. 
Yeah, like now, absolutely. (laughs) All right. uh, So thank you so much, Sean Stevens. Sean is uh, not only a proud Whitefish Bay Blue Duke. Um, She is an aging services specialist at Chicagoland Methodist Senior Services. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Sean. All right. And once again, listeners, we want to hear from you um, at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Um, if you feel like you're in this generation and you are dealing with this, if you have any tips or if you just want to vent, do it on our Facebook page. OK, let's move on to recommendations. I'll go first. Uh, I would like to recommend that we all on this podcast, whoever's listening right now that does this, we all stop buying water bottles for our kids. I must spend oh, half you. my salary on spill-proof <laughs> water bottles because for some reason I've come to believe that my children must always have a freaking water bottle on them, even if, for instance, their school has water fountains and their classrooms have Dixie cups. So I'm pretty sure I believe this because everyone else's kids always have water bottles. But in the great water bottle arms race, they are only losers. Only losers. Uh, my kid cannot, my kids can't stop losing their water bottles. And I am just, I'm not, I'm done. No more money to Camelback. I am not buying new ones. Is that what it's called? Camelback? Yeah. Way to give Sorry, them free Camelback. advertising. So please, listeners, join me and recommend the same to your friends and the water bottle tyranny. If, if you must use a water bottle, use a shitty free one you get from your bank. Uh, that is a great recommendation. I'm seizing the moment, uh, and, and making that change in our house as well. Everyone should just like, like take pictures and put them on our Facebook page of like, well, I guess you wouldn't don't, I guess don't throw out the water bottle. Burn your water bottles inside the house (laughs) so that the toxic smoke accumulates everywhere. Uh, all right. So, uh, that's a great recommendation. I'm recommending a book series, uh, from my middle school years that I hadn't really thought about much, uh, in recent years, but which it turns out. Lyra loved just as much as I did. It is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Um, I reread it recently because I all of a sudden it dawned on me that I bet Lyra would love it. Uh, it holds up really well. It is still super funny. Um, it is still super charming and silly. And it is still totally perfect for a weird, inquisitive 11 to 13-year-old. Um, and if you were a person who read it, When you were a kid, you will very particularly love uh, that your child will start walking up to you and quoting Hitchhiker's Guidelines to you. And if you're like me, you will be like, oh, I I still have all those lines memorized. I still remember every single one of them. Uh, It's it's been a joyous couple of days in our house as Lyra has worked her way through those. I also recommend, if you're going to read them, a really great piece by Jess Zimmerman, which appeared on The Toast last year, called The Problem with Trillion, which is about the one female character in Hitchhiker's Guide and about a a young female reader trying to work out how she feels about that character. Um, We'll post a link on our show page and our Facebook page. All right, that's our show. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Give us a call and ask some questions at 424-255-7833. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. See all our shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thank you to Panoply Grand Poobah, Andy Bowers, and to Slate Podcast Executive Producer Steve Lichtai. Thanks to our guests, Noreen Malone, Mary Ellen Brennan, Sean Stevens, and Aisha Harris. Thanks to our producer, Afim Shapiro. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. 
visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.